welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 16th of December 2012, entitled, Let Us Alone. And the Bible reading is taken from Luke chapter 4, verses 34 to 37. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Gospel of Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 31, I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. And came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. In the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil, and cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. When the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and hurt him not. And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power... He commandeth the unclean spirits, and they come out. The fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. Father, we do thank you again for our time together this evening. Thank you for your word that we've just had the privilege of reading. Thank you for your spirit that lives and dwells within us. Father, we beseech you now, Lord, that not because of what we deserve, but, Lord, because of what we need. Lord, that you would see fit by the power of your spirit to speak through thy unworthy servant, Lord, to give each one here this evening that which they need. Lord, that if there's anyone that doesn't know Christ, this would be the day. Lord, that anyone that is away from Christ is to be drawn near. Lord, especially as we look across the congregation tonight, Lord, these that belong to you, we pray that they would be encouraged. We pray that they would be strengthened. We pray that they would be built up in the faith. We give you all the praise and honor for it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. And amen. Of course, if we had been present at what was taking place here, um, it would have been quite a sight to see. To see Jesus Christ rebuking this devil. And of course, this devil didn't have any problem whatsoever in recognizing who Jesus Christ was. And I'd like to begin by encouraging you this evening that you know that same Jesus that cast that demon out of the one there. That demon was dwelling in that person. But that same Jesus dwells in you this evening. I guess that's certainly it was, uh, I guess uh, God God knows these things before we do a lot of times. Uh, This is a passage that I had on my heart before uh, the happenings of this past Friday when all of these Children were, uh, were killed by what undoubtedly can only be an evil. That is, that is something that is beyond uh, the depths of, of human. Uh, that young man had to have some kind of, uh, of a devil in him to be able to take those six- and seven-year-old children and just to snuff their life out like that. There were about six adults as well. But uh, uh, to try to comprehend how anyone, uh, could take innocent children like that and, and, and do such to them, it's just absolutely beyond our thinking almost. Uh, the simple truth is, as I made the statement this morning, 
But folks, that is the world that we live in. Uh, we live in a world that, uh, uh, that people uh, are so oftentimes uh, controlled by and, yes, even possessed by. We know that these are teachings that sometimes get abused and people see devils and demons under every rock when all they're really fighting is their own vile flesh. But uh, demons are real and the devil is real. Uh, we have a spiritual enemy. And of course, one of the things that we have been really, uh, I guess, uh, Brother Peter shared in his testimony a while ago, I hope that uh, we would never be a fellowship uh, that didn't have a heart to reach out in our community and to our city and around the world to the lost that need the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, one of the things that sometimes is the most discouraging is when you just don't see things happening you know that uh, one of the most used passages probably that we use in, in, in leading folks to Christ uh, is found in Romans chapter 10. The Bible said there, starting in verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Verse 16 says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It's easy to get discouraged sometimes when you feel that who's listening? Who's paying attention? We keep giving out all these tracts, and we keep going out in the open airs, and we keep going to the doors, and we keep doing all these things to try to, to be a witness, to try to get the gospel to people, but why aren't we seeing more people saved? May I say, first of all, that you and I can't save anybody. And the world around us is getting more and more evil all the time, and it will until the Lord returns for us. But you know, just like that we've just read there in the book of Romans, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. How are they going to believe if they haven't heard? How are they going to hear unless somebody goes and tells them? You see, the natural thing for this one that we see Jesus dealing with here at Capernaum, there in verse 34, when, when he went into the synagogue in verse 33, the Bible says there was this man there that had the spirit of an unclean devil. And he cried out with a loud voice, this is Jesus himself. And here is this devil within this one that cried out with a loud voice, let us alone. 
Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? I'm saying it should not surprise us, folks, when we go and if Jesus is really working through us and if Jesus Christ's work is being accomplished through us and we go and we face these devils in this world and we give them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to hear those same words time and time again. Let us alone. Let us alone. Who do you think you are? We don't want anything to do with what you've got. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? <laughs> you know, the world thinks that we're trying to do something bad. They think that somehow we're trying to take away their joy and take away their, their freedoms. That somehow we're trying to brainwash them and put them over here in a place to where they can, can no longer enjoy their lives and enjoy this world. They say, let us alone. Let us alone. What are you trying to do? Destroy us? You're trying to take away our life? You're trying to take away the, the joy that we have? But this one here knew who Jesus was. And folks, that's what's going to make the difference. Jesus is the one that can make the difference. That same Jesus that spoke to that devil there is the same Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit that must speak to the hearts of those that you and I are witnessing to. There's nothing we can say. We don't have to be afraid of the devil. We just need to recognize who our enemy is. But we need to recognize with Jesus Christ within us, we are the victors. We are more than conquerors. There's going to be a lot of people that's just going to say, let us alone. We don't want anything to do with you. Let us live our life as we want to. We find that one of the things sometimes that makes it so challenging to stay encouraged is to see the Lord working. You know, God works through the little things. I'll try to share with you. I started to share this during testimony time, and I figured I'd probably get choked up and, and wouldn't be able to. And I may now, but I want to try because I hope it'll be a blessing. You know, sometimes we just don't know where things are going. I received an email just over a week ago, and it was from uh, a lady that some of you may recognize her name by the name of Sue Lewis. Bill and Sue were, were members here of our fellowship for, uh, for quite some years in my, in my early years here. And of course, when Sue first came to us, uh, she came to us from another church. I won't call its name, but uh, it's not far from here. And she came here thinking that she was a Christian. She thought she had just recently been saved, not too long before that, but, but somehow she wasn't really satisfied where she was, and it was, it was a church that would have been somewhat different from ours. And so she came here, and one of the amazing things that she began, not because of who we were, but because of the message we're talking about right here. You see, the message of Jesus is what they need to hear. And, and Sue had gone forward in an altar, and she had gone down, and she had she'd prayed this prayer, and she had been told that she was a Christian. But she came to me after one of the services, and she said, you know, she said, she said, I need to be saved. <laughs> she said, I went down, and I prayed a prayer, and I was told I was saved. But she said, you know, she said, I never even realized that Jesus dying on the cross had anything to do with me getting saved. <laughs> That's how little of the pure gospel that she had understood. She knew that she had, she was a, uh, had, had sin in her life and that she wanted forgiveness, but she never even had the gospel put to her in such a clear way 
that she recognized that it was only because of Jesus shedding his blood on Calvary that her sins could be forgiven. Sue got saved, and, and, and she had a real burden for her, for her husband, Bill. And, uh, you know, Bill didn't go to church with her, and, and Bill didn't want anything to do with it. But Bill was a really nice guy. We know a lot of people like that. You know, nice people that, that you know, that they're just as nice as they can be. They just, they just don't want anything to do with what we've got. And that was kind of Bill's attitude. Just, just, just let me alone. You go on, and, and he was very gracious. If, if you want to go to church, and if that's your thing, then you go ahead and do it. But let me alone. But God had something different in mind for Bill. And I can remember Bill was always gracious, but Bill was an auto mechanic, and he had a little garage down there. And I used to come up with all kinds of reasons and excuses just to stop by that garage and have a chat with Bill. <laughs> we'd go by, and we'd, we'd talk, and we'd chat, but I'd always bring him around to the Lord. We'd have these conversations. And, and you know, again, you know, he was willing to be gracious and not rude, but... He'd had enough, he'd had enough, and he didn't want to talk about those things. But we didn't give up on Bill, the praying or the witnessing. And I won't go into great details, but uh, uh, Bill had started coming to church some. And uh, again, you know, he was kind of, you know, kind of offhanded with it, you know. He didn't really, he had no desire to really get involved in all that stuff. And then God began to deal with his heart. And then Bill called me up one Sunday night after he got home. And he said, you know, he said, he said, I should have got saved tonight at church. But he said, I didn't. And he got home that night, though, and he couldn't get away from it. And I won't even tell you where he was at when he got saved. <laughs> but he wasn't in a man-made altar. But he was where he met with the Lord. And that night he asked the Lord to save him. Well, Bill changed, God changed Bill's life. And so, funnily enough, you know, after Bill got saved, he had a burden for his mom because his mom had never been saved. She never had become a Christian. And so they began to pray for Bill's mom, that Bill's mom would get saved. And eventually they got Bill's mom to start coming along, you know, to some special services and special things. And lo and behold, God did a work in Bill's mom's life, and she got saved too. I still remember that, as we often do when people come to Christ, we gave Bill's mom a Bible. And I just wrote a little message in the front of it to try to be an encouragement to her. And uh, Sue wrote me last week because she was all excited because the week before they'd been on holiday and their son's girlfriend had gone with them. And while they were on holiday, they attended a, a Baptist church there where they were on, on holiday at in the Orkneys. And, uh, and James's girlfriend got saved that Sunday. And they were just so excited because they'd been praying for her and uh, she'd come to know the Lord. And then she went on to share. She said, said, I don't know if you know or not, but we lost Bill's mom. It was a few months back now. And uh, said, uh, said, when we were clearing through her things, says, we found the Bible. And said, we thought it would be an encouragement. Said it was well-worn. <laughs> said it still had that message in the front, but said it was well-worn that she really loved the Lord. She wasn't ashamed of the Lord. You know, a lot of times it's the natural thing. For people to say, just let me alone. They can say it in a nice way. They can say it in a nasty way. But I can assure you that that's what the devil's wanting them to do. Just like this devil in this one here. You see, it wasn't the man. It was the devil within him that was saying, let us alone. Our enemy is not the person. No matter how rude that they might get, no matter how much they may think that they don't want what we've got, the simple truth is, is that 
It's the devil that's our enemy. It's the devil that's trying to keep them blinded, that's trying to keep them where they are. And you know, the thing is, even when people reject what we want, you got to keep loving them, and you got to keep praying for them, and you just got to keep sowing those seeds every opportunity because we can't do anything else. How are they going to believe? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. That's all we can do is keep praying and, and sowing those seeds and trusting God to do the work because if they're going to get saved, He's the only one that can do that work. You know, there's... We have to keep in mind that the primary reason that people don't want to hear what we've got to say, they don't want this one called Jesus, when he's working through us, he'll say, leave me alone. What are you trying to do? Destroy me. Our greatest enemy is Satan because he wants to keep them from being saved. You know, I want to give you a few things this evening just to keep in mind there's a lot of reasons that people think because, you know, people try to rationalize things. And, of course, we've got to recognize, as I've already hinted at this evening, that a few reasons that people shout, let us alone, is one, because of the practice of unrestrained living. In other words, folks, the lifestyles that they're used to. They're used to just letting the flesh have its way. An unsafe person... They're acting like they're supposed to. It's the flesh that's in control. It's got all those fleshly lusts, and they're wanting to, to be fulfilled. And sometimes we wonder why, but that's the way they're supposed to act. That's what the flesh is like. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Notice what it says in verses 17 to 19. It says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. In other words, a life of no restraints, a life of just letting the flesh do whatever makes the flesh happy. We won't turn for the sake of time this evening but most of us, I'm sure all of us here this evening, are familiar with the story of the prodigal son. What did the prodigal son want? He just wanted to follow his flesh. He wanted what was his right now. He wanted to go out there and he wanted to live it up. He wanted his flesh to be able to enjoy it. The devil showed him the good times. The devil showed him the party. But the devil didn't show him the hog's die at the end of it. <laughs> He didn't show him where he would end up. When all of his money was gone, all of his friends were gone. As long as he had the money to spend, they were right there with him, living that riotous life. <laughs> then he ended up just being happy to have some of what the hogs had left over that they wouldn't eat. And he came to a sense of, what in the world am I doing here? I mean, my, my, my father's hard help is better off than this. They eat better than I eat. 
And of course, he went back to the Father. <laughs> he wasn't any longer worthy, he said, to be called his son. But there was the Father waiting with outstretched arms. Matter of fact, the <laughs> Bible says when the Father saw him afar off, you know, he was, he was watching for him. <laughs> he was looking for him. But he didn't have to wait. Once the Father saw him, the Father went running to him. The Father welcomed him. You know, the simple truth is, is that that's the flesh, folks. That's what that only God can overcome. That's what the flesh desires, is to live that kind of a lifestyle. I won't turn and read it either, but we all know the story of the rich fool. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he'd just been willing. His, he, he, he'd done all these things. I mean, he was such a good, moral person. But when it came to taking what he had <laughs> and giving it away to others, those material things, he just couldn't let go. We need to grasp and understand. People are going to say, let us alone. Leave us alone. Leave us where we are. We're enjoying our lifestyle. We enjoy just living it up because they're feeding the flesh. That's all they have. They're enjoying all the material things that they've got because the earthly things, again, is all that they have. We need to recognize the one thing that will change their life. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For by grace are you saved through faith. We've talked about it so many times. It's all by God's grace. It's not what anybody do. All by God's grace. But there's only one pathway to God's grace, and that's that thing called faith. And there's only one way that anybody can have faith, and that's through the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. We've got to give them the truth. The truth is the only thing that they can come to believe that is going to change their lives. What Jesus Christ has done for them. So people shout, let us alone, because that's the world they're living in, because of that practice of unrestrained living. But you know, sometimes, sadly, it's not just because of the world's effects. But secondly, not only do they shout, let us alone, a lot of times because of the practice of unrestrained living in the world, but because of professional Christians' <laughs> sins and mistakes. Preacher, what are you talking about? Well, professional Christians, you know, people that they think they're the best Christians in the world. They're professionals at what they do. They've got it all down pat. They know how Christians are supposed to act and do and talk and all this, and yet there's a different life to what the words are speaking because people look and people see the lives of these that are claiming to be Christians and yet they don't see it in the lifestyle. Now, are some of those people Christians? Well, yes, I believe some of them are. And some of them have allowed their flesh to have too much control. And they go around saying, I'm a Christian, but yet they're not living the lifestyle that Christ would be pleased with. I was sharing this past week with someone during their discipleship course now that Romans chapter 14, verse 21, boy, that, that verse is amazing. It spoke such volumes to me as a young man. The simplicity of that one verse, the number of things that it just helped me, things that I'd been, as a Christian, I was saved. 
There's no doubt I was on my way to heaven. And yet there was things of the world that I was still hanging on to and convincing myself. And all those things weren't sin. All those things weren't necessarily sinful for me. But in Romans 14, 21, it says, For it is good neither to eat flesh nor drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. You know, I'd, I'd argued with people about some of these things up and down and all over about, you know, you can't prove that this is sin and that's sin and all this, but suddenly that verse became alive to me. Good neither to eat flesh. Talk about eating meat. You know, the simple fact is, is that, you know, you wouldn't, uh, if you were entertaining, uh, ask the, your, your Jewish friend to come over to your house for a meal, you wouldn't serve up roast pig. <laughs> you know, that would be offensive. The drink wine. Christians have argued for centuries whether that we should be teetotalers or how much is too much. Well, I'm in the process of writing my own little book on that, and I'm going to preach it. And, and, and the thing is, is that the Bible will tell us what we need to know about everything if we're willing to listen to it. But the simple fact is, regardless of what you might think, of whether or not that drinking of any kind is, is sinful for a Christian, what was that about? It's good not to eat meat. It's good not to drink wine or anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Well, I want to say something, folks. There are few things on the face of this earth that have called more, caused more people to fall, more homes to break up, more damage to people's lives than that little thing called alcohol. Simple truth is, is no, I, I can't tell a person they're, they're not a Christian because they have a drink of wine. But I can tell you full wide open that as a Christian, I believe you're better off without it. You don't need it. I don't care. How, maybe you're strong enough that you could do it and that you could do it and, and, and maybe never commit a sin and never go too far and, and all these things. But I'm saying, the Bible says it's good not to do it if your brother can stumble or offend or be. People have a real weakness. This is something that some people can't have just one drink. And it's going to be another and another. People's lives are wrecked by it. Homes are wrecked by it. So I'm saying if you, take, if you forget everything else the Bible says about it, you can't argue with what it does to other people. So if you're strong enough to say that it's good enough for you, the Bible's saying it, well, how about considering that other person? If it's something that might offend them or make them weak or cause them to stumble, then it'd be good for you not to do it. Matter of fact, it says anything. That's just eat and drink. Anything that might cause another to stumble, then we ought to be willing not to do it. You see, professional Christian sins and mistakes, I've said it before, man, I, I'm preaching to me more than anybody. I get so mad at me when I look at me in the mirror sometimes. I try to figure out how in the world that you can live so many years and, and still be so stupid about some things. <laughs> I, I, I try to figure out, you know, why in the world that, that, that God ever loved me in the first place and why he would keep on loving me. You know, you know the simple fact is if we just get our eyes on, on our own and, 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 you know, start worrying about the, the plank in our eye instead of the splinter in somebody else's, well, there's plenty. <laughs> Boy, that glorified body would sure feel good right now.
The truth is, is that we're all, we're all sinners saved by grace. We've all got plenty to deal with in our own lives. We need to be willing to deal with those things. We need to be willing that whatever those things are in our lives, to face them. But what I'm saying is that there's a lot of people out there, not only because of their own unrestrained living that is natural and flesh, but because of professional Christians, because of Christians that take the name and claim to be something, but then the lifestyles that they're living cause other people to say, hey, I don't want anything to do with that. That person is not living any better life than I am. Why would I want that? So our testimonies are important. If we're going to go out and we're going to witness, people are going to shout, let us alone, just like they did to Jesus. And part of that is because of that practice of unrestrained living, the lifestyle they have in the flesh, the things that they have, the things that they do. And because of professional Christian sins and mistakes. But I want to tell you a third thing. We also find that another reason that people shout, let us alone, is because when you become a Christian, a public alliance with Christ is demanded. Did you hear what I said? You can't be a Christian in the closet. You can't slip off over here and say, oh, yes, I'm a Christian when you're with the Christians. But then when you're out there in the world, you're what they are. You don't want to cause any waves. You don't want to cause any trouble. You don't want to cause any problems. Folks, there is only one way to be a true Christian. And that's a Christian that's proud to stand up and to say, I'm a Christian to everybody, whoever it is, whatever that it costs. You see, the Word of God demands it. We don't try it to go out and get people to accept our Christian faith, but to continue right on in the lifestyles that they are. And nobody else has to know that you're a Christian. That's not what God's Word says. You see, we read that passage there in Romans chapter 10 earlier. And it said there that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. That's not some little silent something that you do up here. If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart, the belief must come from within. But if you really believe it in your heart, then you're going to be willing to confess it with your mouth that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. He goes on the next verse, for with the heart... Man believeth unto righteousness. Man can have all the religious knowledge that he wants. He can stuff himself up. He can be able to quote every religious book in the world from cover to cover, including the Bible, and still die and spend an eternity in hell and have no relationship with God because there's nothing in here. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made under salvation. You see, it doesn't do any good to get somebody to follow you in some little prayer or to say some little religious creed. The words themselves have absolutely no meaning. I don't care how many times you say them. They don't come from the heart. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be 
ashamed. I'm saying, you know, simple truth is when we start talking to people about coming to Christ, you start talking about the fact that, hey, you're going to, repentance is about turning around, going the other way. You're going to have to turn your back on the world and you're going to have to follow Jesus Christ with all of your heart. And you're going to have to be willing to confess him and not be ashamed of him before the whole world that you are a follower of Jesus Christ and him alone. We find that 2 Corinthians were given instructions. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Bible says, beginning in verse 14, it says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols, for ye, the child of God, the Christian, for ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, if that's the truth, in other words, he says, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. You see, we're playing games with people. We start trying to get them to follow our little prayer and do our little thing and just keep right on with their lifestyles. No, people shall let us alone. Many of them will shout it just simply because of the practice of unrestrained living, that they're living in the flesh and anything goes. Others will do it because of professional Christians, sins and mistakes. They don't see any difference in them. But some of them will say it because a public alliance with Jesus Christ is demanded. If they're going to become a Christian, they're going to have to stand up and say, yes, I'm proud. That's part of what it's all about. That's why people give public testimony before they follow the Lord in believer's baptism. That's why they go through the baptism, not to become a Christian, but to declare to the world that I'm a Christian, that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. But the devils are still going to be shouting, let us alone, let us alone. What do we have to do with you? Leave us alone right where we are and what we believe and what we've got right in the darkness where we are. Leave us there. Are you trying to destroy my life or something? There's one other one that I'll give you. People shout, let us alone. I think fourthly because of a personal inability to think about accountability and judgment. A personal inability 
to think about accountability and judgment. Folks, people do not want to be accountable. Every Christian should be accountable. Every Christian should, should be accountable to God, first of all. That accountability comes to the local church just like we are right here. You should have Christian friends that you hold each other accountable, that you're there for each other. Because the truth is, one day, we are all accountable to God. And we will all stand before God with our lives. I'll give you just a couple of verses. In the book of Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 17, and in verse 31, the Bible says, Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. How do we know that he's talking about Jesus Christ, the one that he's ordained, the one that will judge the world in righteousness because he is the only one that God has raised from the dead for that purpose. You see, you can't find a grave. You can't find a grave for my Jesus, praise God. <laughs> you might find an empty tomb, but you don't even know for sure if that's the right one. He only stayed there three days. <laughs> he was gone. And you know the world, they've tried to destroy that forever and ever and ever. And you could go through all kinds of things. But folks, I want to tell you something. If Jesus Christ hadn't really died on the cross and if he hadn't really raised the third day, I want to tell you something. The Roman government and all of those Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders of Israel at the time, they would have done everything or anything in their power to produce a body of the Lord Jesus Christ because it would have destroyed Christianity right there. There would have been no Savior. If he couldn't save himself, he wouldn't be able to save anyone else. If there was any way that they could have proved that he didn't die, that he didn't raise again, they would have done it. But they couldn't. The Bible tells of all the witnesses that saw him. Well, let me just tell you of a handful of those witnesses they were called the apostles. They were called the ones. Now, let me, let me tell you, just, just think about those men for a minute. <laughs> I mean, these were the men that followed Jesus where he went. They were taught personally by, by Jesus here upon this earth. But you know, when Jesus was arrested, they scattered. Matter of fact, we find that it was there while Jesus was there being mocked, being put through that false trial. Jesus had already told Peter, Peter, you'll deny me three times before that cock crows. No way, Lord, no way, not me. I mean, all the rest of them, might, no way would I ever do that. We see his denials. We see it progressively get stronger until he's there and he denies the Lord the third time and that cock crows and Jesus didn't say a word. But he knew where Peter was. Peter was hiding amongst all the crowd. Jesus just looked over at Peter. And it's all he had to do was look at him. Peter began to weep. Peter knew what he had done. We find them all terrified, hiding in the upper room when Jesus came back to them. But I want to tell you something. After they met the risen Savior, 
every one of those men except for the Apostle John. I mean, he had it easy because he was only put on the Isle of Patmos. He was only put out there in isolation on some island somewhere to end his days. They all died cruel deaths. They died deaths because of what they believed. Now, you, you, just, you just explain to me how men that were so afraid and so nervous that they, they run and hid before that Jesus went to the cross. It's said historically that when Peter was crucified, he wouldn't let them crucify him right side up because his Savior had gone that way. They had to do it upside down. Truth is, they died terrible deaths. Do you not think for a moment that those scared men before what happened? No, I, why, if there'd been a chance of them living, their life is being taken from them, and yet what they believed was so firm, nothing would make them deny it. See, simple truth is, is we've got the only message, the only one. I thank God that people have the freedom to believe what they want to believe. But I'm willing to stake my eternity on the fact that I hold the very Word of God in my hand. And if I live according to this word, there's only one way to God, and that one way is Jesus Christ because he's the only one that is atoned for my sin and all the goodness and all the morals and all the religion in the world. They had plenty of religion in the world before Jesus died on the cross and after he died on the cross. Jesus Christ. But you see, the Bible says we're going to all face our lives that Jesus Christ is the one that's going to judge in righteousness. Now we find that there's going to be two different judgments. For those that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 20 about the judgment that they will be at. In Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 11, the Bible says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Folks, I'm not going to spend a lot of time there except to say, you know, one of the hardest things for us to understand and grasp in this book is probably that place called hell. We can't begin, but you know, by the same token, I was just talking to somebody last week, you know, when it comes to heaven or hell, there's only two eternal abiding places. You've heard me say many times, heaven is not our reward and hell is not our punishment. Those are eternal abiding places where everybody will spend eternity in one place or the other. There's nowhere else. The only way to get into heaven is to have no sin, to be justified by the blood of the Lamb, 
that sin to be taken away. But one sin is all it took in the garden to bring all the death and misery that this world holds. We can't even begin to understand and comprehend a place that's not been touched by sin. <laughs> we try to think of the most beautiful things we can think of. We try to think of the nicest, sweetest, glorious things that we can think of, and yet everything we think of has been touched by sin. The curse of sin is on all of it. So the Bible says itself that, you know, eye hasn't seen and ear hasn't heard what's in store for us there. So we don't understand heaven. But you know, here's the thing, too. Just as hard as it is to understand a place where no sin abides, where there is no effect of sin, the opposite place in eternity. You know, Jesus described it as that place called Gehenna outside of the, the walls of the city where the, those fires just burned and smoldered all the time. It was where all the garbage was put in the rubbish. And, you know, it's where centuries before that the babies were sacrificed. It was the most horrible place that he could think of on this earth. And that's how he described hell. That was the most horrible place that they knew. Is that what hell is really like? Hell is everything that heaven is not. It's everything. Try to think. You know, we talked earlier. We tried to, to, to speak, you know, how could somebody be so evil as to just take the lives of those little children? How could somebody be so evil as to gas all those millions of Jews? We look around us every day. We see evil in this world, people taking other people's lives, people killing for all kinds of reasons, many times even for their religious reasons. Try to take every evil thing that's ever been done on the face of this earth, the most hideous. Guess where it's all going to be? Hell. We can't begin to comprehend. But that's the only way that you can have the two places. Everything that sin has touched in one, everything that it hasn't in the other. The great white throne of judgment, the only people that will be there are those that do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They will be judged, and they will face their eternity. You see, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life, life and death. Sin kills. The wages of sin is death. It brings death physically and spiritually. Death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. Jesus Christ comes to give life and everlasting life, life eternal. God simply said, there's no way that you can take care of your sin. I'm going to take care of it for you. If you'll just trust him, if you'll just believe him. Because you see, if you're a child of God this evening, then there's a different judgment. There's a judgment that we... Read about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 that says, For we must all appear, speaking to the Christians, before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. You notice in both of these judgments, the people are being judged about what they've done and what they haven't done. But that's not what their eternity is about. Here, the Christian, yes, he'll be rewarded or his works will be burned up like the hay and the stubble if they're, if they're not the, the right kind of works to carry into eternity. 
But the simple truth is, the only difference between those who are at one judgment and those who are at the other is Jesus Christ. He makes the difference in where we're going to be. So let me give you this in closing. Our time's gone. We go out and we try to share the greatest message in the world, the only message in the world that will change a person's life. But we find that just like they treated Jesus here in our reading of Scripture, those devils are in the devil's end. Let us alone. Let us alone. We don't want anything to do with you. What, are you trying to destroy us? Are you trying to de destroy us where we are? Just leave us alone. But I say to you, but fifthly, we need a proclamation. We need a proclamation. You know what that simple proclamation is that we need to make this evening? Notice in our reading, in verse 35, when he said, let us alone, it says, and Jesus rebuked him, saying, hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and hurt him not. By the power of Jesus Christ, by the blood of the Lamb. Folks, I'm not going around looking, trying to pick a fight with the devil. I'm not going around looking to try to pick a fight with his demons. But yet I know who my enemy is, and I know that when they come, I don't need to be afraid. I need to stand up and fight. And when I know that that, that, that that devil is working through that person, I need to be able to boldly proclaim in the name of Jesus Christ, in the blood that I'm washed in, in the blood of the Lamb, I will not let you alone. I will not let you alone. Simple truth is we've got to keep proclaiming the truth. Even remember, it wasn't the man, it was the devil within him. The man thought that, I'm sure, but it was the devil that had control. Today, we need to make a proclamation to this world, folks. I will not let you alone. I'm going to love you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to give you the only message that will change your life. I know everybody's not going to believe it, but you can never believe it if you don't hear it. And if by God's grace, he has allowed you to hear it, then it's up to you. And when you face him one day, you'll face him with your decision. I don't want to stand before God with blood on my hands because I didn't tell you. You see, that's one of those peculiar places that we find that Ezekiel was talking about when he was talking about the watchman. He talks about the blood being required at our hands because we haven't been the watchman that we should have. Gospel of Mark Chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. You're very familiar with it. Jesus speaking, and he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Why? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Folks, their only hope is that we take the gospel to them. I love, I think one of the most personal ways that Jesus spoke to his apostles on this, then said Jesus to them again in John chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus said, peace be unto you. Don't be afraid. 
peace be unto you. He said, as my Father, God the Father, has sent me, even so send I you. Just like God sent me from heaven to come here, so the sinners of this world might be saved. I'm sending you. We've looked at that passage before. We go in the place of Jesus. So I, I just want to encourage you. I've got to stop there. I've already taken longer than I planned. Let us alone. Just as we read in this account, the devils don't want Jesus. There's going to be some real resistance. But folks, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It's the Word of God is the only thing that can bring a person to belief. People will say, let us alone because of the practice of unrestrained living that they live in in the flesh. Because of professional Christians, sins and mistakes, those that claim to be Christians and yet maybe don't live the lives they should. Because a public alliance with Jesus Christ is demanded. If you're going to follow Christ, it's going to cost you. You're going to have to say to your friends, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Because of their personal inability to think about accountability and judgment. Nobody likes to think about standing before a judge. Nobody likes to think about the consequences of sin. That's tough, and so they try to put it aside, and they try not to think about it. They try to pretend that it's not going to be. But we read clearly that everybody will be there. I say in response to this, as the devils shout, let us alone, we need to make a proclamation. I will not let you alone. I will not let you alone. I'm going to proclaim Jesus Christ. I'm going to proclaim the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of my Savior, as long as there's breath in my body. And these people, even they want to, you know, we, we're not being nasty. We're not radicals. We're not going out there and holding people at gunpoint, trying to make them turn to Christianity. Won't do any good. They have to make the choice themselves. But we're going to keep loving them. We're going to keep giving them the truth. We're going to keep praying that God will work in their lives even where we can't. Father, thank you this evening for our time to look into your word. Thank you, Lord. We look and we see that even Jesus Christ himself, well, the devil shouted, let us alone. What have we to do with thee? What are you trying to do, destroy us? But Jesus stood firm. Jesus rebuked them. Jesus commanded them to come out of that individual. Lord, that's the same Jesus we've got to depend on today. The devil has many captive around us. The devil has many blinded. Lord, we need to make a proclamation. We're going to stand up for you. We're going to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to our dying breath. And if it costs us our life, Lord, we have nothing better to live for than to proclaim Jesus to this world. Help us, Lord. Help us to make this proclamation from our hearts. Help us to live our lives accordingly. Help us to make a difference as we go to this world in the same way that our Lord came to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. 